Hey, good morning, y'all. Welcome to Trailhead. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor. Thanks for joining us this morning as we continue our study uh, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's a study called Flourish, um, Growing in Fruitfulness, and uh, it is in conjunction with the launch of our capital campaign. Um, One of the reasons I love uh, (laughs) raising money, which is a weird statement, Uh, is that it gives me the opportunity to preach about things like this, generosity and greed. Um, To grow in generosity, we have to talk about greed. Just the bottom line, uh, greed is is the weed that chokes out the fruitfulness of our generosity. It chokes our hearts. It chokes our love. It chokes our ability to to just flourish in in, in genuine fruitfulness, right? Uh, Greed just whispers continually, in our hearts, you need to keep what you have and get more. You need to keep what you have and get more. And greed is always whispering these little promises in your ear. Um, you're almost there. You're almost that. You're almost to genuine rest. You're almost to genuine security. You're you're almost to genuine significance. You're you're almost to genuine comfort. You just need a little more. You better keep what you have. You better get more. And in the process, it's continually giving you justifications for uh, deceptively giving you justifications for, for not doing what you know you're supposed to do or not pushing into ways you want to go, right? Greed promises the fullness of life, but it deceives us, and, 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 uh, and, 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 and it never gets us where we're going to go, right? We describe it as a treadmill. You're just, you just keep running. You, you, you're never moving, right? The, the, the picture on the screen may change, the goal may change, but you never get any closer. It deceives you into thinking you're actually getting somewhere. But what it actually does is it incites fear, right? Greed makes you afraid instead of bold because greed is all about keeping what I have and getting more, which means everybody's a threat, not an opportunity. Every need is, is, is something that could diminish me, not enrich me. Every, every person is, is, is something to be evaluated before I draw near, right? It incites fear. It inflames entitlement, right? I, I have what I have because I've worked hard. I should be able to keep what I have. Who are you to even look at what I have, let alone tell me that I'm obligated to share of what I have? We feel entitled to what we have, and the end result is that it kills love. Because instead of seeing people to be loved, we see needs to be avoided. We can't love when we're choked by greed. Because people need. And needy people seem to diminish what we have instead of enrich it. And so we start using people instead of loving people. We start surrounding ourselves with people who contribute to us instead of love us. We, we look for people who are going to expand our fame, increase our glory, um, give us new experiences, expand uh, opportunities, right? We call that networking, right? It's a whole new word for, for, we don't call making friends, right? We're just finding people that we can use to get ahead in our lives. And in the process, we become more and more poor. Now, here's the thing. This is a biblical theme. It's one of the primary biblical themes, right? We talked about this last week, right? The the misuse of wealth is called out in Scripture over 2,000 times, right? That's compared to 71 times that the word pornea, which is talking about sexual immorality, is called out in Scripture, right? Greed is one of the major themes running throughout Scripture, and yet we spend so little time talking about it. But that doesn't mean we don't know about it. 
This theme doesn't just come out in the Bible. It is not just a biblical theme, it's a human theme. And so we see it cropping up, honestly, in history. We see it in literature. We see it in cinema, popular films. One of Lauren's favorite films is a a film called Sense and Sensibility. It is a Jane Austen uh, film. I love Jane Austen. Um, I'll admit it. Her novels are phenomenal, and I think uh, Pride and Prejudice, the original Pride and Prejudice and Sensibility are great movies. Um, But Sense and Sensibility opens up with a humorous case study in how greed deceives and enslaves us, right? So if you're not familiar with Sense and Sensibility, it's the story of of a father who dies and and his family is kind of divided because his first wife died. He had a son by his first wife and he married a a second wife and had three more daughters. And and, and, um, when he dies, he leaves a huge inheritance to his oldest son because because the estate can't be divided. And on his deathbed, he he brings his son to him and he says, I'm entrusting all of this to you, but you got to take care of your mother. You need to take care of your sister's. You need to be generous. I am entrusting to you tremendous wealth. You need to be generous. And the son, I believe, genuinely in the moment responds to his father and says, I want to be generous. You can trust me, right? You you can trust me. I will will honor your request. But immediately, greed comes in, uh, in the voice of his wife. and, and she just comes in and, and this voice seduces him. This voice deceives him. This voice undermines his, his impulse to genuine generosity to pull back into the fear, the entitlement, and the slavery of, uh, of greed. To, to the point where at the end of the conversation, uh, humorously, they kind of assume the sisters owe him money. Um, so I want to show you the clip because I think it's awesome. I, I love it every time I see it. And so let's go ahead and show the clip. We've sub- subtitled it in case you don't understand British. Your son has arrived from London, sir. Father. John. John. You will find out soon enough from my will that the estate of Norland was left to me in such a way as prevents me from dividing it between my two families. Calm yourself, Father. This cannot be good for you. Norland, in its entirety, is therefore yours by law, and I am happy for you and Fanny. But your stepmother, my wife and daughters, are left only 500 pounds a year, barely enough to live on nothing for the girls' dowries. You must help them. Of course. You must promise to do this. I promise, Father. I promise. Help them? What do you mean, help them? Dearest, I mean to give them £3,000. The interest will provide them with a little extra income. Such a gift will certainly discharge my promise, my father. One had rather, on such occasions, do too much than too little. Of course, he did not stipulate a particular sum. Fifteen hundred pounds. 
systems, then? What do you say to 1,500? What brother on earth would do half so much for his rail systems? Let alone half blood. Well, they can hardly expect more. There's no knowing what they expect. The question is, what can you afford? Don't depart here to their mother while she lives. Would that be more advisable? It is better than parting with a 1,500 all at once. But if she should live longer than 15 years, she'd be completely taken in. People always live forever when there is an annuity to be paid them. £20 now and then will amply discharge my promise. You're quite right. Indeed. Although, to say the truth, I'm convinced within myself that your father had no idea of your giving them money. They will have 500 a year amongst them, as it is. What on earth could four women want for more than that? Their housekeeping will be nothing at all. They'll have no carriage, no horses, hardly any servants, and will keep no company. Only conceive how comfortable they will be. They will be much more able to give you something. It's a great movie, by the way. Um, highly recommend it. But I love that clip because you can see, I mean, just in the matter of two minutes, he goes from a genuine impulse toward generosity to fear, to entitlement, to greed. And what's ironic about the film is as you continue to watch it, um, you realize that while they stay in their posh wealth, they truly are impoverished compared to the sisters who grow rich in love, right? They're, they're the truly wealthy side of the family. Um, the key lies, and this is what I loved as I, was, as I was watching that, the key lies that greed whispers into his ear are the same exact things we've been exposing in this text of Scripture. True wealth is money. So you need to keep what you have and get more right? As opposed to what is true, which is true wealth is love, right? True, true generosity, you're, man, you're already generous, right? You don't, you don't need to push yourself. You don't need to stretch yourself. You don't, you don't, don't you know, because you're already generous, right? The, the lies that we believe, I don't have enough to be generous, or I'm already generous, or I've already been generous, so I've got to get out a free jail card when true generosity is not measured by the size of the gift or the amount of pain in which it is given, true generosity is measured by the amount of love that drives it, right? And the lie that says that when you give, you're impoverished, right? If I give, I can't keep in half. I can't get more. I'm impoverished. And we saw last week that honestly, when we give, we're enriched. Since true wealth is love and true generosity is the giving and the sharing of love, when we give, we are in fact enriched. It is God's way of increasing the economy of our freedom and our joy and, and our contentment and, and our experience of, of love. And not only that, God promises that when we respond to His grace and generosity, He actually multiplies the seed for the sower and will enrich us in every way so that we might be generous in every way. He, he promises us that we can't outgive Him, that not only will He increase our capacity to experience love, He'll actually increase our capacity to give. But it isn't enough. Here's the thing. These lies, we know they're lies, but it's not enough to know they're lies um, because here's the thing. I believe they're lies we want to believe. Right? The default mode of the human heart is greed. It's not just that these are abstract ideas that deceive us. 
They are, they're actively working to seduce us. These impulses in our heart are not passive. These aren't simply ideas to be exposed and set aside. They are impulses in our hearts that we have to actually engage and, and fight against. So this morning, the principle that I want to look at is this, that we need other voices calling us to the freedom of generosity, right? If we take this purely as a private matter, my money is a private matter, how I handle my finances is a private matter, how I do everything is a private matter, you need to realize that in your privacy, you're not alone. You bring your heart with you, and your heart is not unbiased in the matter. The default mode of the human heart is greed, and in isolation, you will find yourself growing in fear and entitlement and selfishness. We need the community of grace to break free from greed. All right, so in our passage this morning, it is a longer passage, uh, and as you read through it, it's kind of a funny little passage because it seems to be only, almost primarily logistical, right? Paul is like, I'm going to be sending three brothers to you, um, Titus and, and, and a famous preacher, a guy who's famous for, for preaching the, uh, the, the, the gospel throughout the churches, and then another guy, and, 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 and he's really earnest. The word earnest is used like three times to describe him. So I'm just going to call him Titus, Mr. Uh, Mr. Famous, and, and Mr. Earnest. Um, so Titus, Mr. Famous, and Mr. Earnest are being sent to Corinth um, for a specific purpose. Now remember, Paul is, is taking up a, a collection for poor believers in Jerusalem, right? Poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem, and he's going to the Gentile churches, the non-Jewish churches, in order to collect this money. And, and so he is sending Titus, Mr. Famous and Mr. Ernest, ahead uh, to do two critical things that we see in this passage. Uh, the first is found in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 8. In verses 20 and 21, we take this course, in other words, I'm sending these guys ahead, so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. In other words, um, I'm sending this team ahead, this team of, of highly known and highly respected leaders, people whose character has been tested and observed, and we're sending a team for two reasons. One, because we want to do everything that's honorable in the sight of God. In other words, we want to handle this money in a way that honors God. We're accountable to God for how we, we collect this money, how we handle this money, how we distribute this money. We want to do it in a way that honors God. But not only that, we want to do everything that, in a way that is honorable in the sight of man. In other words, we're going to follow best fiscal practices. We're going to have redundant systems of, of uh, accountability. Uh, we're not ever going to have one person who's only, they're, they're the only ones with their eyes on the money. We will, have, we will have checkups upon checkups. They're trustworthy men creating trustworthy systems. Um, and, and that means we can trust what comes out of that, okay? Uh, Trailhead Church from the beginning has been committed to creating trustworthy systems for handling our finances. We know that, and, and I've experienced through, through many church plant experiences and, and other church experiences, um, people can be weak and at times people can find themselves uh, tempted to, to uh, use church resources in ways that are inappropriate. And so from the very beginning, we've had a, at least in the beginning, we had a two-person financial accounting system where there were always two eyes on the money. 
Um, now we have, uh, we've always had an elder uh, over the financial system, Clint Maple, and then Kevin Monk took it over, and Kevin Monk just stepped on a sabbatical, and Clint, Clint Maple stepping back into it. But we have a team of, of CPAs. Uh, we have multiple teams in which there's a redundancy. And, and if you want to know more about that system, all you got to do is ask. We are more than happy to share with you the systems we've created to create uh, fiscal responsibility and transparency so that, so that we can do everything in a way that, that honors the Lord and is honorable in the sight of man, that we're following best practices. So that's the first reason he is sending uh, the three brothers is, is to, um, to, to take care of, of this in a, in a way that is honorable. The second, though, and this is where we're going to focus this morning. The second is that they are coming um, to encourage the Corinthians in grace. Take a look at chapter 9, verse 5, at the end of that section we read. So I thought it was necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an extraction. So the Corinthians had already made a pledge to the, uh, to the collection that Paul was taking up. And there was, a, there was a, a gap of time between the pledge and the actual collection of that pledge, right? And it's coming time to, to make the collection. And clearly, we're never told exactly what it is, but clearly the indication is the Corinthians made a very generous pledge that they were a church of means and of substance, and they had made a generous pledge. And, and so Paul is sending ahead Titus, Mr. Famous, and Mr. Ernest, so that they can come into the community and, um, and not just manage the logistics, but to call them once again to grace, to, to equip them and help them move into this offering in a way that is actually an expression of love that actually helps them grow in grace, that is not an extraction, as, as Paul says, that it's not just a matter of you, kept, you gave your word, now you better keep it. It's, it's man, you took a step of faith to, to, to give this generous offering. Now let's really push into the grace of God to equip you to take this step so that it's a, it's a, you can be a cheerful giver, as we looked at last week, so that it's an expression of love. The three brothers are coming in to call them to love to encourage them to give in a manner that's worthy of the gift, right? And how did they do this? How did they, how did they encourage them, right? You got three guys, think about it, you're a local church, you got three guys coming in that aren't part of the local church, and their job is to encourage the local church to give in genuine love and generosity. How are they going to do that, right? I get that they're going to show up and do the logistics. We don't know. We don't know. I do think the makeup of the team is interesting, Mr. Famous is famous among the churches for his preaching the gospel. In other words, uh, he's a publicly persuasive orator. He speaks well. He, he, can, he can carry an audience. He, he can present the gospel in a way that, that in, in a group setting, people are like uh, engaged and, 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 and actually experiencing the grace of God. And then you have Titus, who is a faithful, faithful servant in logistical items. We find him coming alongside Paul numerous times to actually aid him in logistical elements, uh, in carrying out specific discipleship uh, tasks, which, which means working one-on-one -on -one with people. And then, of course, Mr. Ernest, uh, who is just earnestly passionate about the gospel and about helping people. So, I, you know, for me, this sounds like the perfect team to come in and, and potentially have some group meetings where, where Mr. Famous is, is opening up principles of the Word of God, 
uh, sharing principles that honestly I think are more than likely right here in this text, probably giving messages very similar to the ones we've been digging into uh, over the last three weeks. And then Mr. Titus and Mr. Ernest are are having one-on-one conversations with people. They're going out and helping people wrestle with grace and answering practical questions about how they can handle their finances for the glory of God, uh, very similar to the pattern we've, we've tried to approach. Now, I don't know that's exactly how they did it, right? I don't know that because we're not told. All I know is that these guys were sent to the church in advance to encourage them to genuine generosity, to help them renew their joy and grace so that they can move forward in true joy and generosity, right? Not doing it in love, not in manipulation, right? They're, they're there to preach grace to counteract the seductive whispers of greed. See, Paul knew, and every New Testament worker of the gospel and everyone since has known that when we're speaking about generosity, we're continually preaching into the headwind of greed. We're never preaching into a current that already exists where people are eagerly, no, that that current has to be created by a deep experience of grace. That current has to be created by increasing experiences of generosity. That current that, that, that so enriches us has to be developed through discipleship growth among followers of Jesus, right? Because the default mode of the human heart goes the opposite direction. The default mode of the human heart is greed. And so they're coming to remind them. What are they reminding them of? Well, probably the heart of the central message. And God loves you. He loved you so much that Jesus stepped out of his realm of riches in order to become poor, right? He, he, the Son of God didn't consider equality with God a thing to be selfishly grasped, but instead emptied himself taking on the form of humanity, becoming the creator, becoming one of the creation. Why? So, so that he could, he could be the hero we needed him to be, that he might live the life we should have lived in order to die the death we deserve to die, right? He went to the cross, not only being humbled to, to become a man, but to become a servant to our need to pay the price of our debt by dying on the cross for our sin. And in rising showing that the price has been completely paid so that through His poverty, we might be made rich. Through His grace, we might be set free into an entirely new way of seeing life, an entirely new motivational pattern for going through life. It's not about getting and keeping. It's about loving and growing in love. The great commandment, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing about getting and keeping there. Everything about giving, right? The great commission of the church, go out and make disciples who make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the impulse of of taking this new paradigm of love and, and inviting people into it that they might also experience the grace of God and be set free in it, right? They're, they're calling them once again to the beautiful message of the gospel that they might be set free by that gospel, that they might grow rich in their experience of grace, that they might grow rich in their experience of faith. See, here's the thing. The Corinthians didn't just need an opportunity to be generous. They needed faithful friends to encourage them to engage that opportunity with genuine generosity, with a heart undone by grace and hands freed up by love to to genuinely move 
Look, y'all, the Corinthians needed friends, right? They needed, and, and so Paul, understanding this, Paul as a, as a spiritual father looking at his spiritual children, knows that, that you not only need a logistical person to come in and handle things, you need people to come in and shepherd your hearts. You need people to help encourage a culture of generosity among you. I think there are some profound things that we can take away from this, um, applications for us that I think are important. Um, the first is this, that, that we need to use privacy with our finances carefully. We need to use privacy to kill our greed, not secrecy to protect it. As Americans, um, as Westerners, man, we like to keep our money private. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we, we like privacy to begin with because it gives us autonomy. We like freedom. We like autonomy. We don't like control. We don't like people snooping on us or checking on us. We, we, and we definitely, when it comes to the area of finances, man, we don't want people looking at our checkbook. We don't want people examining how we spend our money. That's private. Who are you to look at my money? Who are you to think about my, my budget? Who are you to even think that you have a right to we get really defensive. We get really defensive. And, and there is some biblical support for this, right? And some people would even quote biblical verses and say, well, hey, my privacy is, it's biblical, right? Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 4, but when you give to the needy, do not left your, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, for your Father who sees in secret will reward you, right? You're not supposed to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What that means is nobody needs to know anything about my finances. Nobody, right? We don't even discuss it often as married couples, the reality. We don't like to talk about money. We don't like to have our, our autonomy questioned or our freedom limited. And here's the danger, y'all. Sometimes we use Jesus's command um, for secrecy in the wrong way. Um, Jesus wasn't saying that our money is a completely private affair. Jesus wasn't saying that, that our, what we do with our money is completely private and secret and nobody should ever know and, and, and we should be completely isolated in the use of it because that's what... No, um, he's saying that all money, all, everything we do with our money, specifically our giving of our money, needs to flow from the right motive. Right? We know that because right before Jesus telling us that the, the keep, you know, give in such a way that your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing, right before that he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. The command to, to secrecy um, isn't rebuking public gifts, nor is it rebuking accountability with our finances. Right? Jesus isn't saying other people should know about your money. What he's saying is you shouldn't give your money in a way that makes it all about you. What he's rebuking is the kind of giving that makes the gift about you. So sometimes we are tempted to give a gift in such a way that not only is somebody being blessed, but we're being praised. Sometimes we like to give gifts that, that you know, kind of in, in debt people to us a little bit. Sometimes we like to meet people's needs not purely out of love, 
Sometimes we like to meet people's needs because when we meet those needs, it makes us feel more important in their life. It makes us feel like somehow they're indebted to us. It makes us feel like somehow we're more important or more significant. It, it means somehow, and sometimes, and, and this is what the Pharisees would do when the Pharisees uh, would give alms. Now, this seems really crazy to us because we are so private with our money. But literally, the, everything they did with their money in the first century was public. And, and the Pharisees would, would actually announce when they were giving their almsgiving, right? So they're in the, in the, in the square, and when they're giving money, giving alms to the poor, they announce it. Like literally, Jesus says, don't let the trumpeters go ahead of you. Like, look at me over here, I'm giving money, right? They literally did that, right? So, so there is a way that we need to be careful that, that there is a time for secrecy. There are times to give secretly. If you're tempted to give in order to get, that's the time for secret giving. If you're tempted to give in order to get, to get praise, to get accolades, to get a feeling of significance, then give secretly. There have been times in my life where this has become a powerful and, and honestly painful practice. There were times I was like, man, I really like this person and I'd like to be noticed by him. So I'm going to give. And then the Spirit comes along and says, yeah, do it anonymously. Ah, that's not so fun, right? Because what that does is it gives you the opportunity to give, but it puts that impulse, that greedy impulse of the flesh to death. Often when you give, remember, I just, when you give and it hurts, just remember that's, that's, a, that's a piece of you that needs to die, dying, right? That's why we don't say give till it hurts, because some of you, it always hurts, right? It's just, it's just reality. Every time I give, it just hurts. Okay, I did my duty. No, give more, right? Yeah, give till it hurts, but just know that in the pain, what's, what's painful there is honestly your greed dying because we know we're truly freed into generosity, not when it hurts, but when we're cheerful. Remember that principle? God loves a cheerful giver. We know we're being freed into generosity, not when it hurts, Although it may hurt, but when, but when we're freed into actually the cheerfulness of the generosity, whether or not people know what's coming from us, whether or not it's benefiting us, it's purely for the sake of honoring God and blessing others. That's love, right? So there is a time for, for uh, secret giving, and um, uh, it is an important part. There are other times it's perfectly appropriate to give openly. There are other times that it's perfectly appropriate to give publicly. Um, sometimes public gifts can be tremendously encouraging, right? Sometimes, sometimes letting a person know, I'm the one giving this to you, is a tremendous encouragement to that person. Sometimes giving a gift publicly can impact an entire community with encouragement, right? The difference is there are times that, that, that we can do that, and we know it's right, when our desire is completely to say, look, I get to give to you because I've been given to. I get to give to you because the God of grace has overwhelmingly given to me all glory to God, all thanksgiving to God, right? And when we give like that, people may say, man, I'm so thankful for so-and-so, but they'll follow it up and say, man, I'm so thankful for God, right? And we know we're really getting it with a lot of times the first thing they say is, I'm so thankful for God for meeting this need. And I'm thankful for so-and-so for being his tool to do so.
right? There is a time to give openly and publicly, to encourage. And, and, and this is kind of the point. Jesus sent, or <laughs> Paul sent Titus, Mr. Famous, and Mr. Ernest to the church specifically to talk about money. Um, man, many of us would see that in, as intrusive and, and invasive. If, if we had a team coming into Trailhead and, and I'm like, hey, y'all trust them. They're going to talk to you about your money. A lot of you'd be like, uh-uh. I'm checking out, man. Ain't nobody, no way, right? But that's exactly what Paul does. And, 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 and you know, let me, why are we so sensitive about our money? Is it possibly because we don't like accountability? Is it possibly because we, the, the idea that someone might impugn, right? We like to be owners, not managers. We like to have, I don't have much money, but man, I want to control what I got. That somebody might come in and say, no, there are actually principles, biblical principles that should be at play here. Um, some, some of us use our privacy about giving as a smokescreen, uh, honestly, that really is just secrecy because we don't like to discuss our finances and we don't like to be exposed and, and we don't like to be accountable. And we don't like people challenging us and we don't like people checking on us. Um, so let me, let me just say right up front, don't panic. Some of you are getting freaked out. Um, I'm, we're not going to start checking your financial statements, right? We're not, we're not going to ask that, right? Um, I don't have a team coming in from outside that are planning to meet with you all individually to talk about your personal finances. That's not going to happen. The principle is this, and this is what I want to drive home. You need people who can speak into your financial affairs. You need godly people, good friends, to whom you open up and are vulnerable about your finances, People that, that can ask you, man, how are you doing generosity? And can challenge you, hey, you really haven't grown in generosity in like years. Do you think maybe it's time? Somebody who has that kind of, of freedom, which seems so weird to us, right? But we do it with all of our other besetting sins, right? Those that are, that are struggling with, with sexual temptation and pornography, Right? One of our first courses of, of, one of the first things we recommend is, man, go put some software on your phone and on your computer and then get, what, a, a partner. Somebody who's going to check the reports, somebody who's going to ask you questions, somebody who's going to be praying for you and checking on you and looking in on you so that you can grow in grace. Right? Not so that they can slap your wrist when you do something bad, but they can, they can speak life into you and help you grow into the change you desperately want. We, we do it with, with, with sexual sin. We do it with, with, with personal management and anger. We do it with laziness, right? When it's time to do workouts, we're like, man, will you go to the gym with me at 5 a.m.? Why? Because we know I may not get up for me, but I'll get up for you. And if we do it together, I'm stronger with you than I am apart from you. Why is it such a, an offensive idea that we don't need the same thing in the realm of our finances when greed is called out as one of the primary besetting sins of humanity throughout Scripture? We need community to encourage us, to challenge us, to speak truth to us. Uh, not through manipulation, not through guilt, not through shame, but by calling us to grow in our responsiveness to the love of God and, and to grow in our love for, for uh, others, calling us to grow in grace and share grace. All right, so the first principle, we need to make sure that our privacy is, is uh, used appropriately, not to 
to, to, uh, to, to either rebuke our sin, or, but not to cover it. Secondly, genuine generosity requires us to receive help and not just give it. Kind of a clear principle that flows out of this. Genuine generosity requires us to receive help and not just to give it. Um, the Corinthians were in a place of financial help or a financial strength where they could give help. But it's pretty clear they were also in a position where they needed help, not financial help, but encouragement, spiritual encouragement. They needed to be reminded that true wealth is love, that true generosity is growing in love and sharing love, and that when we grow in love, when we give, we're not impoverished, we're enriched, right? They, they needed to be reminded. They needed community. Genuine generosity requires us to receive help, not just to give it. Let me ask you something. Can you love someone and have a genuine relationship and refuse to receive love? Can you have a relationship where you show up and say, I'm the giver here? I'm the one who gives. I'm the one who does. I'm the one who sacrifices. I'm the one, right? But I don't need anything from you. I don't want anything from you. I'm only here to give. That's not relationship. Intimacy. Intimacy is the heart of genuine love, and intimacy is fostered in mutual trust, and mutual trust flourishes in mutual humility, in which we allow our needs to be known and our vulnerabilities to be met by others. You need community in order to grow in grace, in order to fight against your greed, in order to, to ignore the whispering pride that seeks to, to, and greed that seeks to, you know, isolate you and make you weak. You need to not just give help, you need to be willing to receive it. Mr. Titus, Mr. Famous, Mr. Ernest were sent, and, and, and their visit would have been completely useless if the Corinthians had decided before they got there, we don't need your help. So let me encourage you, if you need financial help, if you're in a spot where you, you do need help, at which we all do, um, maybe even with, with basic budgeting or managing your money or even learning what the basic principles are to manage your money, we would love to, to help you. Um, and so two offers right here. One, if you would love someone to come alongside you with some financial coaching to help you move into freedom, put it on the response card. Be brave enough to put it on the response card. We have people in leadership that love to help other people grow in fiscal responsibility, freedom, and joy. Okay. The second thing is to let you know I've got about a dozen copies of, of Dave Ramsey's book, Total Money Makeover. Uh, it's not a perfect book, but it's a really good one. And, uh, and I'm willing to give it to you if you're willing to do it with others. We have these at Connection Point. Okay, and I've got about a dozen copies. If you're willing to sit down and work through this with someone else to help yourself grow in your own ability to manage your money for the glory of God, these are free. Okay, just go to Connection Point and pick it up. But that is the requirement. You need to bring somebody else into it with you. You need to do it with somebody. Okay, third and final point. Generosity flourishes in the company of others who are growing in generosity. Generosity flourishes in the company of others who are growing in generosity. Listen, when we're in a community where others are, are growing in their experience of grace, joy, um, liberality, um, uh, contentment, that affects us. It really does. In the same way that, that every day we're out in a culture that is, that is seeped in greed, that affects us. 
right? We need to create a culture within the culture. We need to create a, a, a kingdom value in the midst of worldly values. In, in, a, in a whole world that's obsessed with trying to find the flourishing of God apart from the God who gives it, we need to be creating a counterculture within our own community where we're encouraging one another to find the flourishing of life in humble, joyful dependence on the God who gives it. We are encouraged to grow when we're around others who are growing. Their stories of grace encourage us to grow in grace. And we see this even playing out in chapters 8 and 9, right? Paul, at the beginning of the chapters, when he's talking to the Corinthians, he says, I want you to know about the Macedonians. Who, who, I want you to know about the grace of God among the Macedonians who, in spite of extreme poverty because of persecution, they have combined joy with that poverty and it has resulted in an overflowing excess of generosity. I want you to know about them because they've got something you want. They're experiencing something you want to have. They're rich in ways you're not yet rich. So he tells the Corinthians, man, look at the Macedonians. We find out later in the chapter that he told the Macedonians about the Corinthians, that they had made this generous pledge, right? He shared stories of grace to encourage other people to grow in their story of grace. He wasn't manipulating. This wasn't just good leadership where he's leveraging stories. No, he's actually spurring more generosity by sharing stories of generosity. You know why? Because grace is contagious. When I see you rich in ways that I'm poor, it awakens my appetite to grow in ways you're growing, to experience what you're experiencing, to take steps of faith that you're taking, things I would never dare to do on my own. But when I see you growing and I become... Um, excited about it, it man, it just it, it emboldens my faith. It strengthens my experience of grace. One of my favorite parts of doing the capital campaign is that I get to hear stories of people that are growing in grace. Um, because, um, man, they just encourage me. It happened uh, six years ago when we did our first capital campaign. It's happening this year where I sit down with people and I'm just like humbled, right? I'm like, oh, man. Here's the thing, I'm leading the capital campaign, but that doesn't mean I'm immune to the very things I'm preaching about. It's really easy to get wrapped up in leadership. It's really easy to call people to generosity while meanwhile I'm in the background going, all right, how sacrificial do I have to be this time? You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's really easy to, to call people to something and then potentially give myself a pass. How ridiculous is that? Give myself a pass on growing rich? give myself a pass on on growing in my experience of grace. And what awakens me often is when I see people coming to me and saying, Steve, that sermon just totally, and they're like joyfully giving. And I'm like, oh, I almost forgot it was real. I'm just being honest, right? That's how this stuff works. We have to continually be reminded. So I want to share one more story. I've shared four over the last two weeks. Uh, three from our first cap, or three from this capital campaign, one from our first. But but I want to share one more from our first capital campaign because I love these guys and it's an incredible story. Uh, it's a couple named JB and Abby. Most of you don't know who they are uh, or how important they are to the history of Trailhead Church. Um, but they shared their story, and so I'd like to go ahead and just show that video uh, that they shared with us. My name is J.B. Wendell, and this is my wife, Abby. And for the last five years, we have been living in the Metro East and from the very beginning been attending Trailhead. And uh, we're really excited that we are able to, to call this place home. 
We moved to Edwardsville because we work with an organization called Crew. It's a Christian campus ministry, and we trust God to use us on college campuses in and around the Metro East uh, to, to bring students who don't know God into a personal relationship with Him, uh, build those students up in their faith uh, through their years in college, and then send them on mission to their community and the college campus, and even beyond uh, as they graduate and go into the marketplace. Yeah, and this is a really crazy time in life for us actually about nine months ago we began to sense that the lord was leading us to to take a step of faith and uh, that step of faith for us is to move our family and actually go with a team of eight crew staff uh, who all actually attend this church and move to a closed country in east asia and so in august of this coming year we are going to be moving our family and our team uh, to this closed country to share the gospel on university campuses and what's so awesome about it is that we are going to be able to have conversations with and, and talk to students about the gospel uh, and many of them have never even heard the gospel before in fact some of them have never even heard the name of jesus before and so it is a really really kind of fun time of life and ministry for us right now and, uh, and it's also a really big step of faith for us. We have a, an almost three-year-old and almost one-year-old, and we're selling our house and selling our cars and, and moving to a country where uh, we've never lived before. And so it really is like a kind of a time of, gosh, not knowing what's around the corner. Um, but we're also really excited and confident in the Lord's call. Um, but there's a part of our hearts that's really sad to leave uh, Trailhead at this really exciting time in the life of the church. And so when we started hearing about the Capital Campaign, we began thinking, how can we continue to be involved in what God is doing through Trailhead, even when Edwardsville isn't our home anymore? Yeah, and so as we've begun to think about what the Lord might be calling us to as a family in terms of uh, giving and taking a step of faith in the context of the capital campaign, uh, we've, we've really been praying about it and saying, okay, Lord, uh, everything that we have, you have given to us. And how do you want us to, to steward these things? And uh, it's kind of crazy, but Abby and I, we, we raise support to do what we do. We have churches and individuals that give on a regular basis to kind of support our ministry. And with the transition to East Asia, there's just a lot of stuff in transition for us right now. A lot of unknowns. Yeah, absolutely. And so we're, we're like, Lord, what, what can we do and what can we give? And so we began to, to really take a look intentionally at our finances. And we realized that even with all the flux, um, there's something that is true, and that is we are not going to have a car while we're in, in East Asia. And so the, the regular money that we put aside on a, on a monthly basis, so things for car insurance and repairs and new tires and all that kind of stuff, that is, is available um, for the Lord to, to kind of use. He's freed that up in our budget. And it would be easy, I guess, for us to, to think about other ways to spend that or absorb that into a different area of the budget. But we believe that the Lord is asking us to take this step of faith, to take money on a regular basis, a monthly basis, and put it towards the, the capital campaign. Uh, because we believe that the Lord is moving through this church. We believe that uh, the community is being impacted and that the gospel is, is going out and the name of Jesus is being exalted in places that it wasn't because of Trailhead. And so uh, it's a step of faith for us. Um, it's trusting the Lord for us. But we are excited to begin giving in a monthly capacity to the capital campaign. Um, and we're excited to see what the Lord is going to do with those finances. So what was amazing about that is that these guys, 
literally were fundraising and trying to figure out how to raise enough money to relocate their family to go do long-term mission in East Asia. And, and yet, God led them to commit as they were leaving, right, to a campaign where they would never reap the personal benefits from their investment. They gave faithfully over three years and helped equip us get into this building. Now, we've also been investing in them. They've been on the mission field now for, for six years. Um, we have financially invested in them and the team. Um, we have, I think all told, sent around 100 people either on long-term or short-term mission uh, to East Asia in our connection with them. And so their investment in us has borne terrific fruit and our investment in them has borne terrific fruit. And here's what I want you to get. God gets the glory and we get the good. They weren't impoverished by their gift. They were enriched. And we haven't been impoverished by sending them money or sending them people. We've been enriched. Um, by the way, they're still, they've, they've, they're now ministering in that closed country. And they have broken into about half a dozen different college campuses. And um, they are thriving in the spreading of the gospel um, there. And uh, I'm very, very thankful for that partnership. Um, you guys, generosity spurs generosity. Their faith spurs my faith. Their generosity spurs my generosity. Their love spurs my love. And it, and it is good for us to do this together. Greed is continually whispering lies into our hearts, and we need to grow in increased vulnerability with the community of grace in order to grow in grace. So just a final word on the capital campaign. Um, Last week, I announced our leadership pledge. Uh, remember our leadership pledge? That's just people who chose to lead in generosity. They're giving in advance to encourage others to give, right? They're leading by giving to encourage others to give. Uh, wanted to give you an update. We, we have three more leaders that have jumped in uh, this week uh, to that pledge. We currently have 29 individuals or families giving, uh, having made pledges, and we have a total of $465,100 already pledged to the capital campaign. I mean, it's awesome. Every single one of those stories is humbling and encouraging to me. For us to get where we need to go, where we're trying to go, we're going to need around 120 individuals or families contributing to the campaign. So that means we have a long way to go. And that means that we need you to get there. So I'm going to encourage you to make sure that if you haven't yet, grab the books we've made available to you. One is the 21 Days Toward Generosity. It is a daily devotional, a 21-day daily devotional. It's designed to help you get ready to be generous. One of the principles we've explored. The first step is to get ready to, get to, to take the first step, right? So the first step is to get ready. If you haven't grabbed one of these, please do so. Uh, and then engage it, right? Actually work through it and allow God to work on your heart. The second is to grab our capital campaign workbook, which tells you what we're raising, why we're raising it, the roadmap for how we plan to get there, and ways that you can be involved. And I'm asking you simply to ask God, where would you have me to contribute? How would you have me to be involved? Um, and in that process, genuinely engaged. The most exciting thing about this is not the raising of the money. The most exciting thing about this is the growing of disciples. I see people every time we talk about money taking significant discipleship steps, and they are discipleship steps. Non-givers take the step of becoming givers. That's a, that's a step of faith. Sporadic givers become regular givers. That's a step of faith. Right? Regular givers become sacrificial givers. That's a step of faith. And each time we take a step into yielding more and more of our finances to God, 
we grow in the riches of grace. Uh, and so uh, I would ask you simply to, to, first of all, give yourself to the Lord, and then having given yourself to the Lord, ask Him how He would have you give yourself to be part of this. So important dates, commitment Sundays, uh, next Sunday and the Sunday after are the Sundays we're going to be asking you if you're going to be part of our capital campaign, if you're going to contribute to, to give us the envelope on the front. Um, you can give us the card or you can take off the whole envelope. Uh, we like our privacy. And, uh, and, and put that in, in either the offering um, or one of our response boxes to let us know um, that you're planning on giving. Now, remember, this is an above and beyond pledge over the course of three years, right? We need our, our normal giving to continue to go to fund our budget. Uh, we have regular budgetary expenses simply for doing ministry. This is an above and beyond three-year commitment um, that'll come from, from you either eliminating expense, reducing expense, or, or postponing an expense that equips you to be generous, specifically over three years. So I would ask you to, to if you're going to be involved, please let us know over the course of the next two weeks, um, and then we'll announce that total once we've gotten all the pledges in, and we will celebrate together. Let me go ahead and close this in a word of prayer, and then uh, we will um, take some time for reflection and then share communion together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are so ridiculously generous with us, that you gave us yourself. You didn't just give us the gift of all creation. You actually gave us yourself. Um, Lord, we would be eternally impoverished and absolutely trapped in that poverty with no way to get out had you not paid the price we needed you to pay, had you not been generous in ways um, that, that, that are mind-boggling to us. Lord, you are generous because you love. Help us to grow in love, in receiving your love and then being freed into the security and the significance and the rest and the, the comfort um, and the approval that comes from knowing that we've received your best. And having received your best and the infinite grace that comes with it, we can be freed into that flow of generosity. Lord, free us into it. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.